This morning I'm going to be teaching to you guys about something called freedom from guilt and shame. Freedom from guilt and shame. And, um, and it's so important because they were singing about, you know, live on top of the world and let's get back to Eden. And the one thing that they didn't have in Eden was guilt and shame. Like in Eden, there was no condemnation. And I believe that one of the things that really hinders believers from receiving what God has for them is that they live under guilt and shame. And so we want to live free from that. We want to know what the word says about that. I'm going to challenge those of you who take notes to take notes. I'm going to challenge those of you to, who don't take notes to go back and listen to this message again and to become a note taker because I'm actually going to give you a lot, a lot of scripture today because I believe that, I believe that lies are pushed out by truth not opinion. And the word is truth. The Bible says that the word is more powerful than any two-edged sword. And so what God wants to do is that he wants to illuminate our lives with truth so we can live free. Amen. So let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these, your people. We thank you that you have been so gracious to set us free from guilt and shame. And so we thank you for the scriptures that we will hear today that will teach us how to live above guilt and shame. Father God, we pray that you have given us the ability to choose. And so we choose life. We choose freedom. We choose victory. We choose everything that you have for us. And we thank you so much that you would just even care enough about us to care about our soul well-being. And we believe that we receive everything you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm talking about freedom from guilt and shame. I, I think it's a very important topic. I've heard a lot of people talk about things that they don't. Um, those of you know that like um, my day job, my, my business is that, is that I'm a coach. And so what happens a lot of times is that when people are trying to work through their stuff, the real reason that they can't be successful is because they don't believe that they deserve it. They don't believe they deserve it based on something somebody told them. They don't believe that they deserved it based on something that happened to them. They don't believe that they deserve it based on something that was done for them. And one of the things that I always ask them, in, or I really ask it in order to create some shock value, is that if you say you believe the word and you believe that God is true, then why do you believe that God is lying about who he says you are? So that's something for you to think about. So if God says that you're forgiven, why don't you believe that you're forgiven? If God says that he's not holding your past against you anymore, why do you not believe what God is saying? Because you can't say that you believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and that now as a result you don't have to spend eternity in hell, but he's making you live like you're in hell right now to pay you back for what you did. God is not looking for you to pay him back for what, for your sin. You don't have the ability to pay for your sin. That's why he sent Jesus. So anyway, I think it's very important for us to talk about it because the truth of it is, is life happens. Tell your neighbor, say life happens. happens. And when life happens, people get hurt. And sometimes you are the recipient of, of hurt. And sometimes you are the creator of hurt. And sometimes you hurt other people. And sometimes people hurt you. And sometimes you hurt yourself. And you have to understand that that is just the, the product of sin. That what happens is, is that good, this is one of my favorite sayings right here. You should write this down. You should etch this somewhere. The anointing is perfect, but people are not. The anointing is perfect and people are not. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes that we could ever make is to believe that because we love somebody that we don't have the ability to hurt them or because someone loves us that they don't have the ability to hurt us because it's just not the reality of living. It's just not the reality of living. And sometimes we hurt people intentionally because we're mean. And sometimes we hurt people unintentionally, unintentionally because we got issues that we don't always know that we have. And so I think that what we need to understand, one of my favorite scriptures we're not going to is Psalm 62. My expectation is from God. 
that what that means is this, is that God is the only person who is held to a standard that they will never hurt me. Anybody else has the ability to hurt because I have the ability to hurt, right? So that's really, really important. So shame prevents us from having intimacy with God and intimacy with other people. People who are ashamed don't connect. People who are ashamed live behind walls. People who are ashamed don't let people come close to them. And that is just the, stra the strategy of the enemy is isolation because the best way to kill an army is to divide them, right? It's to divide them. And so it's like if he can take a family, if, if he can take a family and create something between a mother and a daughter so their shame and hurt and injury so they don't talk to each other, they're much easier to divide like that than if they're fully open and communicating with each other, right? So you really have to, the Bible says don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, right? Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. Understand that his strategy is isolation, why? Because if he can isolate you, he can destroy you. Does this make sense so far? So well, let's talk about real quick the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is what takes place when a person realizes their failure. Guilt is what takes place. I feel guilty when I realize. Guilt doesn't always have to be over something huge. Guilt can be over something like, hey, I said I wasn't going to eat any sweets. I ate the piece of cake. That little tinge, like, dude, I shouldn't have done that. That's what guilt feels like, right? Now, what's false guilt? False guilt is what Satan throws at us once sin has been repented for. So what happens is I do something that's a sin, right? I feel the guilt. I repent. What the enemy wants me to do is to keep carrying what I've already been forgiven for. Selah, let it sink in. So the Bible says that if I confess, he is faithful and just, right? So I blew it. You drove to work. You flipped them off. You cussed your boss out in the head. I mean, you know, like you did all of that. You was passive aggressive towards your coworker. You know that stuff that you do, right? And then, because most of the time what happens is, is that the Lord is trying to tell you not to do it, but your flesh so fast, like your flesh is so fast, right? Right? It's so fast and before you know it, y'all laughing because you see yourselves, right? Like before you know it, like what happens is you're like, I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not going to say nothing. I'm not. Let me tell you something, right? So like, I mean, because your flesh is so fast. And then after that, because you have a heart to please God, you realize what you've done, right? And then you feel guilty. And you're like, oh my goodness, God, I'm so sorry. I repent. At that moment, it's done. At that moment, it's done. The Bible says that he separates your sin as far as, the e as far as the east is from the west. Do the east and the west ever touch? Can you ever go east-west? Can you ever go west-east? No, think about it, right? They, they don't have the ability to touch. So the moment you repent... Your sin doesn't have the ability to touch you unless Satan can get you to hold it in your mind. Well, what about consequences? Well, consequences are a part, part of life. But you don't have to carry the weight of consequences. 
You don't have to carry the weight of consequences. Right? So understand that false guilt is when I have repented, but the enemy keep talking to me about it. Now, sometimes the enemy, it's important to understand how the enemy works. Sometimes the enemy uses just your internal voice. See, because really this is how the devil works, right? The devil says, hey, if so-and-so do that one more time, you should cuss them out. You ain't no punk. Don't you take that. You don't let nobody treat you like that. Right, right, right. The moment you cuss, it ain't even got to be the full ones. It could be the ones y'all justify in the Bible. The moment you cuss, the moment you cuss, what he say? I thought you, I thought you was supposed to be a Christian. I thought you ain't cuss no more. I thought you had turned over a new leaf, right? And now, so sometimes that's how he talks, right? Other times he uses other people to do that. Maybe you've moved on. Maybe you had a baby out of wedlock. Maybe you used to fight a lot. Maybe you used to get high a lot. Maybe you used to sleep around a lot. Whatever it is. But you start to move away from that because you separated yourself from it and you moved on. And then the enemy brings somebody into your path to remind you of who you used to be. That's false guilt. And you have to recognize it. And that's why Paul learned how to say, forgetting those things which are behind. I remember when you used to cuss everybody out. Well, clearly I changed. I'm not cussing you out right now. I mean, clearly I have. <laughs> I remember when you used to fight all the time. Well, clearly I don't. I ain't bust you in your mouth for what you just said. You see what I'm saying? It's like, clearly I've changed. Because <laughs> when I used to be crazy like that, you wouldn't have even said it to me. You know I've changed. So you have to be careful of both how the enemy will use you and how the enemy will use other people. So I want to talk to you about what you do when the enemy uses you. And then I want to talk to you about how you handle when the enemy uses other people. When the enemy uses you, you have to capture thoughts. You have to become metacognitive. You have to become a person who thinks about your thinking. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they were hiding and the Lord came and Eve said, or Adam said, we hear from you because we were naked. The first thing God said is, who told you that? So when you feel unworthy, unlovable, not capable, not smart enough, not able to move forward. When you have negative self-talk like, I'm never going to be able to do it. Nobody's ever going to love me. It's never going to work for me. You have to get conscious enough to say, who told me that? Who told me that? And then you got to be mature enough to get some accountability in your life. The reason that many, many people struggle with sin is that they will not get accountability. You've got to have somebody in your life. This is how I always say it when I'm talking to young women because, um, so honestly, here's kind of the difference that I think is between men and women. Men don't necessarily talk as much. But if they decide they're going to talk, they tell the whole truth. That, that, now, that is the difference between men and women. If, if, if I literally have gone to lunch with a woman about her marriage, we talked for 90 minutes. I still don't know what the heck is really the issue. 
I've gone to lunch with her husband, sat down, and in 37 seconds, I know exactly what the issue is. Because if they decide they're going to talk, they're going to tell the whole truth. But women wear a lot of masks. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to figure out what to say and how to say it and how much you can tell and what people are going to think about you. So I'm going to give you some indications of whether you know if you really, really got a best friend. If you really, really got a best friend. You don't really, really have a best friend unless you have somebody that in the absolute worst moment of your life, you could call them in the middle of it and they wouldn't judge you and they wouldn't uncover you, but they would come rescue you. That, that, all at the same time. All at the same time. So it's like if you, and the example that I give people all the time is that you ain't really got a best friend unless you about to have an affair and you at the hotel in the room and you can call them and they'll come. Well, they got to pull the fire alarm to, live, to open up the whole building, but they coming. You don't really have a friend if you don't have somebody you can tell that. So the challenge for a lot of people, the reason you're struggling and you can't and you managing your guilt by yourself, you think you're managing it and you really consuming you is that you don't have anybody you can really tell the truth to. You don't tell the truth to yourself. You don't tell the truth to God and you don't have a person that you can tell the truth to. So you angry, but you don't deal with the fact that you're angry because your anger covers up your rejection. Because in order to admit that you were rejected, you would have to deal with the fact of you that doesn't like to appear to be weak and appear like you care. So you keep expressing anger and people keep trying to help you fix the anger, but nobody can help you fix the anger because you haven't said the reason I'm so angry is because I got rejected at such and such age and I'm still dealing with that. So when I feel like people are going to reject me, I start wigging out on them. Be transformed by the... We talking about freedom because, I mean, I, I don't know what y'all want to do, but I don't want to go to church and shout and clap and look good and go home and live raggedy. I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to see another pastor preach a message and go in his office and blow his brains out. I, I don't want to see it anymore. And you know why we don't get free from Because nobody says... I need help. I don't care if you judge me later. Help me now. Right. Right. That's good. That's good. Say whatever you're going to say tomorrow. But today, can you help me? But the truth of it is, is that if you build community, we won't judge you later. Now, let me add another thing. Some of you really struggle to tell the truth because you do judge other people so harsh. Because the persona that you have built is that you have mastered things that you have not mastered. And so you look at somebody and you go, ooh, how could she do that? I'll give you a great example. So when I see a ratchet fight, I don't be like how they could do that. I get how somebody could walk up on you wrong and catch you at the wrong time. And before you know it, you have beat them down in the street. I understand that. Everybody don't understand that because everybody didn't used to fight. But anybody who used to fight, you understand how that happened. Your mama told you you better not fight again. 
You trying not to fight again, but in your mind, you like, she say one more thing. All she got is one more. She can look at me like something. You understand that? You ain't got to look at the ratchet fights and be like, I don't understand how people act like that. You only two steps from that. <laughs> and so you want to be careful not to be this super judgmental person. People blow it. Look at your neighbor say, people blow it. And look at your neighbor in the face. Look him in the face, in the eye. Say, if you live long enough, you're going to blow it too. So don't. No, we're not through. So don't be so hard on people who blow it. When I set a high standard that everybody should live by, I can't possibly admit when I failed it. So, we get into these positions because we're not telling the truth to ourselves and because we have a high standard of judgment toward other people. That's why the Bible says judge not. Well, I can see they fruit. Well, keep living and you're going to have some fruit too. Everybody in this room has done something that does not reflect Jesus. Loving Jesus. Fully, fully loving Jesus and fully committed to Jesus. You have done something that does not represent Jesus. Does that mean you're not saved? How do you get to take everybody's salvation away, but you get to keep yours? And so we're never going to be a house that's going to be like that toward people. This is important because why is this important? Because shame and guilt is the reason so many people are committing suicide. Shame and guilt is the reason that so many people are walking around and depressed, taking drugs. Shame and guilt is the reason that so many people are hiding their pain in food. Shame and guilt is the reason that so many people are so angry and they're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. So you got to create a space where shame and guilt can't exist. And the only way to do it is for you to first step out of shame and guilt yourself. Amen. So guilt is what happens when you realize your failure. False guilt is what happens when Satan keeps trying to bring your past up to you. So I told you, I said, now here are the two things that happen when you are a person under shame and guilt when it's internal. But then here's what happens when it's external. You have to be willing to separate and create distance from people who will not let you let go of your past. And I know, I know that's, some, that's hard for some people because depending on what kind of family you came from, it might be your family who won't let you let go of your past. You have to be willing to create, I call them crucial conversations. Crucial conversations. To me, they look like this. I love you and I know we used to kick it a lot and we used to do a lot of stuff together. I'm not that person anymore. I don't like it that every time you get a chance, you try to bring up my past. If you continue to do it, I'm not going to fool with you. I got to let you say, I got to let you go. If you continue to do that, I got to let you go. I got to let you go. You don't get to keep talking to me about who I used to be. You, you don't get to do that. Love doesn't give you the right to, to mistreat me when I'm trying to move forward. So, does that make sense? Now, What's the difference between guilt and false guilt and shame? Guilt is seeing what you've done. False guilt is when the enemy doesn't want to let you go from what you've done. And shame is when you define yourself or classify yourself as a failure because of what you've done. Say, I am not a failure. I not a failure. Say, I have failed, I have failed. But, my failures, but my failures 
do not define me. And people who deal with a lot of shame, you can identify yourself because you got a lot of self-talk, negative self-talk. You'll ask God to bless you with something. God will position you for the blessing and you'll be talking about how you don't deserve it. Well, be clear, you never deserved anything from God. He chooses to give it to you to begin with. You didn't deserve salvation, but you got on in line, didn't you? Right. <laughs> like, so shame is when you classify yourself as a failure. And so this is where we talk about being, being honest and really having to admit to somebody. Like, because, you know, like people can look really good even though they're not. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever looked really good when you really weren't? I mean, you dressed all up. Everybody think you all right, but you really not all right. So this is when you have to ask God to connect you with someone that you can say, I feel like a failure. I don't just feel like I failed. I feel like I am a failure or I feel worthless or I feel like I'm not enough or I feel like I don't deserve to be happy. You got to say that. Because the Bible says this, it says he desires truth in the inward part. It's really the same exchange. When I'm able to admit, in Deuteronomy 8 and 3, it says he led them through the wilderness so they would know what, were in, what was in their own heart. There are pressure points that keep coming to you so you will admit what's in your own heart. God already knows that you're insecure. God already knows what your anger really represents. God already knows how bad you feel about yourself, even when you're dressed up and even when everybody's telling you that you're amazing. He already knows. Now you have to say, this is the truth of how I feel. And I want to take this false truth and give it to God and get a real truth. Does that make sense? Now, when I recognize Nobody, so let's just be abundantly clear. Nobody should be talking bad to themselves. Nobody should be talking bad to themselves. And the truth of it is, I know this by the Spirit of God, that there are things in this room that you, allow, that you say to yourself that you will want to kill somebody if they say it to you. But you say them to yourself. Some of you call yourself names. You put yourself down. You insult your intelligence and your ability. When you do that, you are insulting God. You are created in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he has chosen to love you even with your flaws. Now I get it because some of the struggle is, is because most of us learn very early on that people can't handle your flaws. People can't really handle who you are. The truth of it is, listen, the hardest job in the world is to be a pastor. Listen, I don't care what nobody say. Here's the hardest job in the world. I'm going to tell you why it's the hardest job in the world. I am expected to hear and help you through all your junk, but I better not have none. I can help you through your affair, through your porn addiction, through your sexuality crisis, through your money problem, through everything. But I bet not smile when I see you. Act like I like I act like I was too busy to speak. And so I say this just as an insert. Pray for pastors, not just here. Pastors are struggling. And pastors are not struggling because they don't love God. They are struggling because they do not have a safe place to say I'm struggling. 
Anytime I don't have a safe place to admit my sin, my sin will explode. Anytime I do not have a safe place to admit my sin, best believe my sin will explode. It will absolutely explode because the goal of the enemy is to pull you so far in and expose you. So we want to be merciful. Say merciful to people. We want to be merciful to people. That means you got to be able to hear the, you got to ask yourself, am I, do I have the ability to hear people jump and still see the anointing on them? Can I see, can I hear your junk and still see the anointing on you? And you got to practice being that person. And people who married, you got to practice being that person for each other. It's so interesting. I was praying about something the other day and the Lord was saying to me that if spouses would just treat their, each other the way they treat their best friend, they could get over a lot of stuff faster. Because when your best friend blow it, you ain't never trying to throw your best friend away. But your spouse is supposed to be closer to you than your best friend. And you start, you, you trying to take them to the cross. <laughs> you got nails and a spear. <laughs> I'm just trying to help us live free. We can't have more compassion on other people's kids than our kids. Yeah, I know you raised them. I know you disappointed because they made a mistake. But, but, but listen, God's kids make a mistake. Why you think your kids won't? So, are we getting anything out of this? Here's the thing. Anytime you begin to meditate on your sin, all it will do is produce destruction. If you meditate on your sin, it will just produce destruction. Because if you meditate on your sin, you're going to feel bad. And if you feel bad, it's like, well, I already blown it. Why don't I? You know, it, it, here's a perfect example that'll be easy for un, but most of you to understand. You decide you was going to eat right today, right? You got to work and they had donuts, right? After you eat that first donut, most people go, well, I already blew it today. I'm already out here now. Now you done, now you done got dessert and a soda and nachos for lunch. That is what meditating. Now, what you could do is just go, I ate the donut. It's not the end of the day. Let's get back on track. But if you meditate on your sin, there is no space to get back on track. And what keeps, whatever you focus on is what you fulfill. Whatever you focus on is what you fulfill. So if you focus on the fact that you're worthless, if you focus on the fact that how much you've blown it, all you go do is make more blow-it choices, which reaffirms. See, I told you, told you we ain't nothing. You, you, that's all you can do. But if you begin to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And even when I mess up, God still loves me. And he's here to help me. And when you get open enough to pick up the phone and say, I'm really struggling today. I'm really feeling like a failure. I don't feel like I'm smart enough. I don't feel like I'm enough. Then you get free. If we meditate on our stuff, we're going to. And if you see yourself as a dirty sinner and a failure, you're never going to be able to live as righteous. What I'm talking to you about right here, let's go to 2 Corinthians 
10, 4, and 5. Are y'all getting something from this? How many of you know God is perfect? Yes, do we know God is perfect or are we not sure about that? God is perfect. Right, God is perfect, right. Well, let me ask you this. So explain to me why God can forgive you, but you can't forgive you. I mean, do you see how the enemy plays in people's minds? Now, God, who is holy and perfect, has released you. And you talking about, I can't believe you did this. Yes, you can. You know you. So be like him and throw that stuff away. It says, we use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's stronghold. Whenever you see the word stronghold in the New Testament, it always refers to something internal. A stronghold is something internal. It is a bridge of thoughts. It is a place of thoughts that create bondage. So what the enemy does is that he uses a thought, he throws a thought on top of a thought, 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 until it's a house. When the house is built, then the devil moves in it. You just visit into the house. But that's why when we talk about like casting devils out of people, we're not talking about necessarily people got to fall down and foam at the mouth. We're talking about understanding that this series of thoughts have built a house. And the house have given the devil a dwelling place. Does that make sense? Whatever you meditate on, you become. So if you sit and you go, um, that is why porn is so destructive. Because porn creates an imagery that first of all is not real. If you study the porn industry, it's not real. It's acting. And anybody can look beautiful acting when they keep stopping every three seconds. <laughs> no, no, it's the truth because that's the stuff people need to understand. It, it, that, that's not real. It's fantasy. The reason they look like that is that it's a movie. No, you, I'm, when you go watch Iron Man, do you think you can do that stuff? <laughs> and, and, and no I love that a couple people said yes because that is how powerful the mind is you focus and you look at something now you down in your basement trying to build a suit that'll fly so if you watch imagery of sex that paints sex as something that's disrespectful and demoralizing and diminishing then what you do is you inevitably become it even if you didn't intend to Ooh, alright the weapons of our warfare they not calling they pull down with these weapons verse 5 with these weapons what do we do we break down every proud argument that keeps people from knowing God well what you say is I'm already saved but your judgment keeps you from knowing his love and your fault and your condemnation and your shame keeps you from knowing your destiny and your identity in him. So you may remember when Valley taught us, some of you don't remember, but he taught us, he said, we are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. So the moment you accepted Jesus as your personal savior, your eternal salvation is secure, right? But then now you're in the process of being saved. What is being saved? He's transforming your mind with the word. And so, and then one day you will be saved, meaning you will get your new fine body, right? That body, that's the body I'm holding out for right there. And so um, he says that we use these weapons of the word to break down every proud argument. Understand that most people don't think they're prideful, 
But when the ultimate expression of pride is when you begin to think that your situation is so unique that nobody else will understand. That, 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 that's how you know you in pride. When, when, when your situation is so unique, don't, know, don't nobody in the whole world, all these people that have ever lived and are living right now, and nobody can relate to you, so you're a unicorn. <laughs> right, you, right, you, 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 I mean, you're a unicorn like no one else. I mean, really, and so that's the truth. Don't tell them because they won't really understand. They won't really get it. So then married women trying to help single women, single women go, that's easy for you to say because you don't go home by yourself. I did go home by myself at some point. That's why I'm trying to help you. I understand that. Like, I understand that. Well, you don't understand because now you old. My grandmother used to say this all the time. This is her favorite saying. She would say, honey, I have been 15, but you ain't never been 60. She said, and I didn't get here because I'm stupid. She said, and if you let me help you, I can help you get there without all the stories I have. Young married couples ought to be friends with old married couples. Young single people who want to have healthy marriages ought to be married with people. I mean, ought to hang with people who got healthy marriages. People who don't want to be angry shouldn't hang with their angry friends. People who are trying to stop smoking weed should stop going over the weed house and they should hang out with friends who don't smoke weed. People who drink too much should hang out with people who don't drink. You should put yourself in an environment of freedom. Sad people should hang with happy people. Negative people should hang with positive people. This true story, one of my siblings on Facebook, one of my sisters, she unfriended me because she said I was too happy. She unfriended me. She texted me. She said, I'm about to unfriend you. Get on my nerves every day. Talking about how life, great life could be. <laughs> I'm like, but life really can't be free. great. She said, this is why I am unfriending you. And she unfriended me for real. So now when I talk to her, I have to text her. She does not talk, follow me on Facebook. She won't even let me be a friend. But you got to want to be free. But the truth of it is, is that all that means is that she doesn't want to come out of that funky negative place. So the other thing is being able to tell the truth and say, do you really want to come out of fornication? Do you really want to come out of holding grudges? Do you really want to come out of it? Because when you really want to come out of stuff, you hang with different people than the people who got you into it. Amen. With these weapons, we conquer their rebellious ideas and teach them to obey Christ. You should write this down. You got to teach yourself to obey Christ. You have to teach yourself to obey Christ. And you will never teach yourself to obey Christ until you deal with your thinking. You cannot conquer what you don't confront. And what you don't confront will conquer you. So you got to deal with your thinking. I had a lot of stuff to say, but I think I'm going to kind of start to wrap up now. When you have an incorrect image, you must deal with it. When my image doesn't match God, I got to deal with it. I got to deal with it because if I don't, it's going to dominate me. We don't want to look good and not be good. Amen? We don't want to look good and not be good. We don't want to fake it till we make it. We want to deal with our junk and be free so we can live long and live strong.
And we want, here, here's what you really have to begin to make a decision to do. You have to say, you know what? I believe that the Lord never tells you everything that's wrong with you. Because if he told you everything that's wrong with you, you just quit. He don't tell y'all stuff that's wrong with you. Here's, my, here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that when we get saved, God starts with the thing that has the most power to kill us. And I believe that that is the reason. I believe we all get to the same destination, but we don't all take the same path. Because I think the truth of it is, is that God may be dealing with me about one thing and he ain't even talking to you about it, right? And so now I'm over here trying to impose that standard on you, but that standard is to keep me alive, not to keep you alive. And he talking to you about a standard that's supposed to keep you alive. And I think he just keeps perfecting and keeps perfecting. And that's why I think it's so important that in my journey, I don't try to inflict all of my standards on you and you don't try to inflict all of your standards on me. And then we saying that the other person not saved because we not committed to the same thing God is the one that's navigating the journey he's the one that's navigating the journey and just because someone isn't on the same path of the journey as you don't mean they're not serious about God just because you just because God isn't dealing with you the way he's dealing with me doesn't mean that I'm not serious about God now the truth of it is, is that God there are people that God tells do not drink you can go to the scripture and find it is not a sin to drink. But the moment God tell you not to drink, it's a sin for you. You ain't got a right to try to close the liquor stores down for everybody else. He told you not to drink. So now you protesting, calling everybody who drink Jezebel's spirit ain't serious about the Lord. He told you not to drink. Don't you drink. Maybe he told you not to drink because he can see the alcohol addiction in your bloodline. And he knows that down the road, you're going to lose your job. And if you lose your job and you've been drinking a case a day, you're going to drink two cases a day. And then what turns into a job loss is going to turn into a destruction loss. He telling you not to drink. He telling me don't slap people. <laughs> the very first thing God dealt with me about when I got saved was to stop fighting because I was going to go to jail. It was going to be hard to pass to y'all from jail. He ain't talk to me about drinking. I didn't have no propensity to drink. What I did have was a propensity that if you said something I didn't like to bust you in the mouth. That was my propensity. That's what he talked to me about. Don't talk to me about not drinking. I'm running my own race. You, he trying to keep you from being an alcoholic and me from wearing orange. But he working on both of us. <laughs> but he working on all of us. You are, we, we not God. Now, really, because here we go, because then I'm, I'm going to end this up and then we go pray over some stuff and we go, go. Listen, and one of the biggest problems in marriages is that married, married people think they the other person, Holy Ghost. <laughs> married folks think they they spouse, Holy Ghost. You are not the person that you in a relationship with, Holy Ghost. You not. You are not they Holy Ghost. The Lord did not assign you to be their personal paraclete. You are not the teacher. So what happens is the Lord give you a word. I know because I done done it, baby. Listen, I done done it. 
the Lord said, I want you to fast for 21 days. I'll be like, hey, we going on a fast? 21 days. Whole family, no sugar, no meat, no. <laughs> you got the whole family under subjection for what should be, what, for what should bring freedom to you brings bondage to them. Because he didn't ask them to do it. He asked you to do it. Selah, I'm letting it sink in. You, you are not your spouse's Holy Ghost. You can encourage them. You can pray for them. You can even decide there's certain stuff you ain't going to live with. But you do not have the right to treat your spouse like you are their God, their master, or their parent. He said amen two times. <laughs> You just don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to withhold affection from your spouse when they don't do what you want them to do. I'm going to help you. If you withhold affection from your spouse when they don't follow your rules, you are a manipulator. And the Bible says that manipulation is as witchcraft, which basically means you could just be a psychic because God sees it the same way. You don't have the right, you don't have the right to control other people. You don't have the right to control other people. So we want to make sure that tell your neighbor, say it's important, it's important for, us for us to deal with our junk. To deal with our junk. Because the junk that we don't deal with will destroy us. The truth of it is, is that most of the time when we want to control somebody, it's because we deal with fear. The only reason that you ever need to control somebody is to deal with fear. Like, here's the crazy thing. God don't control people. God doesn't control people, and he can. How do I know? How many of you have ever sinned? How many of you have ever had Jesus stand in front of you and push you down and not let you sin? Listen, God will be like, don't curse them out. You'll be talking. He'll be like, don't curse them. He ain't shut your mouth. He's like, you ultimately, I said before you, life and death. You choose. You ought to rock with me. So if God, who is creator of all, doesn't try to control people, if you're trying to control people, you have a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is because you are not rooted in love. So when I find myself wanting to control somebody, the first thing I try to locate is what am I afraid of? Listen, I want to help you. People go do what they want to do. People go do what they want to do. People do what they want to do to God. You know they will do what they want to do to you. No, I'm trying to help. Like people do, people are going to do what they want to do. The best thing you can do is get free from the stuff in you that makes you hurt people. That makes you need to control people. Like people say all the time, they be like, you and Pastor Ellen, y'all just seem so chill like y'all don't ever try to tell each other what to do. Well, we tried that. We tried that. It don't work. Especially if people got strong personalities. If people got strong personalities, you tell them not to do something, they do it because you told them not to. Because they're like, now what? What you going to do? What you going to do? So the best thing you can do is you can say, here are my expectations of being in this relationship. That's with anybody. A friend. Your spouse. Here are my expectations. I want you to understand that if you 
choose to violate them, there are consequences. I'm going to still love you, but there are consequences if you choose to violate them. And then we move forward. So here's what we're going to do. You know, I think, just think it's good to pray over stuff. It's just, it's just good to pray over stuff. So did anybody see themselves in this or did you just see other people? I, I love that the guy stood up first. Did you see yourself? So here's what the Bible says that when I see myself, listen, one of the indications that I am afraid is I begin to attempt to control everything in my life. It is the in, it, I have learned, I have studied myself so well that when I want to control everything, I'm afraid. I'm trying to balance the power. If they do this, then I'll do this. It's, the, it, it, it's, it's fear. You want to say something? Huh? I say to the Lord, I'm scared. I say to the Lord, I say, I say, hey, I'm scared. And I need you to help me. Because the Bible says that he would walk us out the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. So when I'm in this place where I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed out or whatever you feel, this overwhelming sadness, instead of just being like, I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm sad, you got to be like, Lord, I'm sad. What's up with this? Lord, I'm sad. What's up with this? Walk me out of this. But it takes a tremendous amount of transparency that you have to be willing to live in. Which is one of the reasons that we don't have service where you just shout all the time. I'm going to tell you why, because I believe this. I believe that people go to church and they shout to escape. But they don't learn anything to create freedom. Now, you done shouted for an hour. You still ain't got no money. Your husband crazy. You hate your job. What do we do here? What do we do here? What do we do here? You done sweaty. You sweaty. I mean, ain't nothing wrong with shouting, but can we shout because we got a plan? And now we go implement. We like, Lord, thank you for the plan. So we shout because we got a plan. And then some people have gone to church so much. This isn't true for church for people who aren't church. But people, you've gone to church so much that what happens is, is that you even learn. Here's a great example. If you've been in church a lot, you know exactly what this is. Somebody's given a prophetic word. Prophetic words are not automatic. You need to understand that. Prophetic words are not automatic. So like, for example, if someone says, hey, lady back there against the wall in the purple shirt, there's nobody like that. You don't have to look. Hey, lady back there in the purple shirt against the wall. Uh, uh, by the end of this year, God says you're going to be a millionaire. If she don't do nothing but what she's been doing, she ain't going to be no millionaire at the end of this year. Okay? Um, lady over there, the Lord says you go get married, but you won't go out with nobody who asks you. You ain't going to get married. You're just not going to get married. It's just the truth. You're not going to get married, right? So what I'm trying to get you to understand is that we have been so churched to do these call and response things without understanding. Here's a great example. You can call somebody up for a prophecy. You can always tell people who've been churched extra. I am trying to tell you something about your life and you fall down. trying to tell you what the Lord said about your life and you fall down get up come with a notebook come with your cell phone to record fall out after you got it then go over there and fall down if that's what you need to do but you have to ask yourself if the salute if the things you're doing are producing anything you are you going around the same mountain some of it is that people shout 
Some of it is that people escape. Some of it is that people use food. Some of it is that people try to control people that they love. Some of it is that people pretend like nothing is wrong. But you've been doing that for a long time. What has it produced? It's not working. So when it's not working, you can at least say this. And here's the biggest problem where people get stuck in church. You've been doing whatever you've been doing forever. Right. Let's take Sertric and money because that's easy and you'll back up off of that. You, you can be mad at Sertric for a few minutes. So Sertric, Sertric gives us a challenge and Sertric tells us that he wants us to track every dime that we are spending because the goal is for us to tie 10% and to save 10% because Sertric is already telling us that next year there are going to be some opportunities that he wants us to show us how to get into so that this confession about economic freedom actually can become our reality in 15 years from now you ain't saying it and still ain't got but $12 in the bank after you get paid. So he got us on a plan, right? Well, the truth of it is, is that if you don't naturally like to manage your money like that, it aggravates you. I told you that every day that I had to keep them. To, and me and my kids was getting on my nerves chasing Caleb. And they was like, did you keep the receipts? You, it looked like you threw that receipt away. Surgery said you're supposed to keep the receipts. I wanted to kick them in their chest because that is not what I naturally want to do. But I got a choice to make. I can keep doing what I'm doing. And not have the money to invest in the things I want to invest in. Or I can take instruction from somebody else. There were times I had to like text search and be like, I'm struggling with this process. And he would give me some little tips. I knew that we was playing a totally different game when he said to me, well, what kind of software are you using to track your receipts? I'm like, I got a book. Who got software? Like, I got a notebook. What, what, don't, don't talk to me about no software. But the point is, I'm putting myself in a place to be able to admit that this is something I'm not good at and giving somebody permission to be able to hold me accountable for it. So when your marriage is messed up and you dress cute and show up, but don't tell nobody you really messed up, you go get a divorce. When your kid's struggling and you won't tell somebody that you're struggling to be a parent, whatever you try to hide go eventually come out in big fashion. It's going to come out in big fashion. So if you've chosen to be a part of FOC, position yourself by being transparent. Now, the other part of being transparent is that some of it is that you got to be willing to grow up. In September, Sertrick ought not have to be coaching me to make sure I keep my receipts. And we ought, we ought to be, he ought to be seeing, we ought to be seeing some growth in this. Because relationship is not now I get to dump all my stuff on you, but I'm not willing to follow the instructions to get in a better place. I got to walk the process out. So don't just start calling people, telling them how bad your marriage is if you're not going to do what they say. And don't start calling people and telling them how you keep picking, picking bad relationships if you're not going to listen when they tell you don't date somebody. No, it's just the truth. Like, really, I, I haven't said this up here. I don't think I have, but I'm going to say this. If you have dated five people and they all blew up the same way, you are the common denominator and your picker is broke. <laughs> and when your picker is broken, you should allow someone who picks well to help you pick. I've said this a million times, but making my million and first, first time. If you a woman in this church and you are interested in a man, don't ask the women what we think. 
except me, because I got different skills. <laughs> you don't ask a woman what she think, especially another woman who want a man. You know who you ask? You ask the men. You say, who is he? And then they will tell you who he is. And then do what they say. Because they not trying. Listen, hear me. We are not trying to keep any of you from love. We want everybody to have love. We want everybody to have a Valentine's boo. We want everybody to have an anniversary. We want everybody to go to the couple's gala we go have one day. We want everybody to. What we don't want is for you to keep picking wrong and you keep getting more and more damaged in your soul and then you keep picking wrong because you keep getting more and more damage in your soul. We would rather that you pause, fix the soul, and let us help you. Because we want you to have love. If you get fired from every job, you are the common denominator. It is not that white folks don't like you. It is that you do not know how to act in the workplace. So you got to find somebody who know how to act in the workplace and let them help you. Listen, we go pray and then we go go. I had this one young lady, her life was forever changed. I told her, I said, listen, she, I, I, I'm telling you, I really like, I like new Christians and raw people because they just tell the truth. They don't fix nothing up when they talk to you. They just tell, they, they don't care that you're a pastor. They tell it exactly the way it is, right? And so this young lady told me, she said, listen here, she said, I need some help. I want to live better. And she was like, I'm probably going to have to call you a lot. And I was like, all right, just, you know, call me. I said, sometimes you may have to text me first. She called me one day. She said, I'm standing outside my class. And my professor just said something smart to me, and I'm trying to decide whether I should bust her in the mouth or not. I said, I'm very glad you called me. Let me tell you what we're not going to do. Do you need me to come pick you up? Because I'll come pick you up rather than let you go to jail. What I would like for you to do is to go back in and get your backpack if you can. Can you go back in and get your backpack without pushing her down? Can you do that? Not yet. I want you to stay on the phone out here in this hall. I talked to her all the way through that because that's what people do for people. But what if she hadn't told me? She was, she was like, she was crying. She was like, I'm about to fire her up. I was like, no, please don't, please. Wear orange. You got to be willing to tell somebody what your struggle is. I saw this guy, I like him, he gave me tinglets. If the first thing you got is tinglets, it's probably a bad sign, you should run. If you walk in someplace and first thing you got is tinglets, just take your stuff, just leave, just go. Because every time you ever got tinglets, you know what happened, just go. Let's pray, I'm done. 